Tim 109. For those of you who've been here for about 15 minutes, this will be very familiar. Tim 109, Acts 4.24, it says, The Lord, thou art God, who hast made heaven and earth and the sea, and all that is at then and all that in them is. That is definitely not ESV. I'm assuming that's going to be KJV. All that in them is. I'm going to talk about the theology and some of the, just the lyrics of this, because I, lo- I love this hymn. I, Frank picked it out this morning. I did not, but I do like it a lot. And I want to just talk through what are, what are, where, are the, where do the ideas come from? What are the assumptions? What's the theology? Perhaps you might say. This is my father's world. This is uh, stanza number one. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. What, what, is, what is he trying to say? Not in those words, but, well, with those words, what, what idea is he trying to bring across? Anyone? The heavens proclaim the glory of God, right? And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings. The music of the spheres. Where does the, this, the idea of the music of the spheres come from? Anybody? It's a medieval idea where they thought the Further back. Got to keep going. Anybody? This goes all the way back past Plato. This goes back to at least the Pythagoreans. Because they viewed um, the, the planets as and the distances between the planets as um, mathematical and musical. And so it goes all the way. So that idea that you will certainly see in the Middle Ages, well, you will go, uh, makes it all the way to here. All right, it's not a biblical idea. It's a it's a Greek Pythagorean idea. Yes, sir. Uh, also, it kind of it harkens to you know the Pythagoreans. It's almost the uh, like a song, like the word was, but also the word is also song, and it's like a symphony mm-hmm. creation. That's all. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, they viewed um, the. They viewed creation and they viewed this arrangement as a design, right? As a mathematically precise, perfect kind of idea, right? You would certainly say orchestrated. Thank you, Chip. Very good. Very good. And so, anyway, that's where that comes from. That's that's not really a, a biblical idea per se, but it it, it fits. Uh, if we read the, uh, the next part, this is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hand, the wonders wrought. What is, what is the speaker or the singer here doing? He's talking about the heavens declare the glory of God. Mm-hmm. He's, he's worshiping, right? He's resting in the thought. He is contemplating, he's meditating on the hand uh, the wonders that um, God has wrought by his hand this is my father's world, the birds their carols raise, the morning light the lily white declare their maker's praise 
Same idea, right? This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Similar ideas. Um, he shines in all that's fair. This is a, an idea, right, that we see, we, we do see in the scriptures of all good things come from the Father of lights above, ultimately. Right? He shines in all that's fair. And in general, our theology, in terms of what, what is man like, all right, well, man is, in whatever, the, whatever this actually means, man is created in the image of God, right? Man is also fallen, all right? And as fallen man, we, we often tend to sin. But we also believe that God keeps mankind from sinning to the degree that it could possibly sin. There's a common grace, and God controls and really keeps the world from going fully sinful, from going totally haywire. What's fair in the world is ultimately from God, from either side of His people or not. Either he's constraining, alright, he's constraining the world, or he's helping us. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be one. What's the idea here? We've switched. This is definitely a different theme. It's like he's responding to an objection. Okay. Let me never forget that particular phrase. Let, let me never forget. What is he not supposed to forget? God is ultimately in control. My favorite part is actually the, in the very last part, Jesus who died shall be satisfied. This whole idea of the fact that at the end of all of this, um, God and Jesus, right? Jesus will be satisfied after what all has happened. He'll be able to go, yes. Right? It's not a picture of God as uh, hopelessly toiling to accomplish something and failing. It's a picture of ultimately, in the end, it's satisfied, right? It's, it's, you know that feeling of satisfaction. We've all had it sometimes. It's just satisfied at the end. Jesus who died shall be satisfied. And her earth and heaven be one. All right? Um, this is an image that you certainly get towards the end of Revelation. It's, there's an image, and we talked about this some before, right? Obviously, the Bible is more focused on... Um, on it's, it's more earth-focused in the sense of it is more about the fight between God and evil on the earth through His people, ultimately, right? But what you also see sometimes in the Scriptures, in the Old and in the, in the New, there's also a fight in heaven, is there not? Right? There is a fight between God and fallen angelic creatures which he has created. Ultimately, in the end, all right, the earth will be redeemed as, and the, the heavenly battle will be won. And ultimately, there is a united heaven and earth. All right? A united realm under which God is ultimately satisfied, is ultimately sovereign and in control.
And so this hymn has, um, you know, despite the Pythagorean influences, has fantastic theology, right? And it's very fitting for what we've been reading as we've been focusing more on, like, the providence of God in, uh, I guess, the last few sessions. Now I want you to turn to Psalm 144. Psalm 144. This is a psalm of David. Uh, You might also recall that we read this just a few minutes ago as well. I want to walk through it. I just want to discuss what it means. Um, Let's see what he has to say for us. What's the theology of David? What is the worship of David? What is David's mindset? Here. Somebody read verses 1 through 4, please. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. Okay. This is Hebrew poetry. When you're in Hebrew poetry, look for, for small groups of things. All right? That's a very common thing that you'll see, um, often called you know, Hebrew parallelism. You, you can see these, these groups, and they're meant to uh, repeat, and sometimes just repeat just verbatim, just, well, or just in different words. Sometimes they're meant to contrast. Sometimes they're meant to just build on top of it. Like, for example, if you take this first part... Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. All right. First, we're addressing God, and then we've got two things. He trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my strong hand, my stronghold and my deliverer. My shield, and in him whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. So it's three in a row that are basically restating the same idea. And then a fourth uh, that's, that's more warlike. Right? We're going back to that more warlike theme. He's protection, 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 subdues those under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? What does son of man mean? What, what's, what's it a reference to in the Bible? Or references to? Anybody? There's a reference to it in Ezekiel. And who is called the son of man in Ezekiel? Ezekiel himself. Yeah. Did you say who? Uh-huh. Jesus frequently calls himself the son of man, right? What else? Where, where else does Son of Man show up? Shows up in Daniel. And some of these, like when, when, when God is talking to Ezekiel as the Son of Man, it's a reference to Ezekiel as, what is the Son of Man? 
a son of man is a, is a man, all right? as opposed to some sort of angelic being. It's, it's, a, it's a way of saying human, all right? Um, and you can see that here, right? What is a man that you regard him or the son of a man that you think of him? It's, it's the same in this parallel. When you've got in Daniel, you see one like a son of man, all right, going to the, the ancient of days. What's that saying? It's someone who is, looks like a human, all right? Someone who looks like a human. And Jesus, right, when he calls himself the son of man, you know, depending on where you are in the Gospels, this is kind of, well, that's interesting. I don't know why you call yourself that. But at other times, it's like, whoa now, right? Like when he calls himself the son of man in just regular circumstances, you're like, why are you calling yourself a human? It's an interesting phrase. But when, you, when he says that you will see the son of man coming... Right? Whenever he's standing in front of the religious leaders, when he's, when he's ready at that point to, to do what in their mind, what they would call blasphemy, what they would use to get him killed, uh, he's, he is now invoking, of course, Daniel. Here, it's just this basic idea of a son of man and, and of a human. And what is true of humans, verse 4. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Right? His son, Solomon, would very much talk about the, the vanity right, uh, of human life. Uh, and this is David here. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Now, if you contrast that to like the first verses, right? Um, David here is, is powerful, right? I think this is interesting. David is powerful. Why is he powerful? Well, because God made him powerful. But he is powerful. My hands, uh, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. I'm unstoppable. Right? God is my shield. I am unstoppable. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. It's an interesting contrast there. Bow your heavens, O Lord. Verse 5. And come down, touch the mountains so that they smoke, flash forth the lightning and scatter them, send out your arrows and rout them, stretch out your hand from on high, rescue me and deliver me from many waters, from the hand of foreigners who speak lies, and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. What is he trying to say in verses 5 and 6? What's the image he's trying to convey? Mm-hmm. And also, uh, like deliverance, sort of show them you're powerful, and then deliver me with that power. Absolutely right, right? Talks with power, and then he goes, and then next, stretch out your hand from on high and rescue me. Absolutely. I think it's yeah. also sort of an invocation of the supernatural. Uh-huh. Like we pray, and whatever we pray, what are we asking God to do? I mean, we're saying. All these people don't even believe in you. We really believe you're there and want you to, from heaven, to stick your finger in earth and do something here. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, right. Right. The typical image, where's God? God is in the heavens. And so you think of him kind of, kind of uppish. Um, re- related, related to this, um, Eden. Tell me about Eden. What? Really nice place. Really nice place. All right. 
It's a paradise, all right? Well, it's a garden. But you know what Eden also is? A well-watered place. It's also a mountain. All right? You get this in the prophets. Why would Eden be on a mountain? Right? Closer to heavens. And so David here is, Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. What's the possible images here? Could be Sinai, all right? When do mountains smoke? When there's volcanoes, right? This could, be, this could be the idea of just clouds around the mountains, but that happens all the time, right? He's asking for something that's unusual, and volcanoes are unusual, all right? Um, uh, God's visits to mountains like Sinai, uh, that's a very unusual kind of thing. So David, I think here, is not talking about just there's clouds around the mountains. He's talking about something different than that. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them and send out your arrows and rout them. I think that's a very interesting parallelism because it's almost, it's, it's, he's like he's calling lightning God's arrows. Very interesting. It's like, what, what is lightning? It's God's weapon. Very interesting, I think. I'd be curious what that is. More died than drowned. Something like that. I have to see it again. Hmm. Uh, I have a question about the um, his days passing like a shadow. His, his life is like a breath. Mm-hmm. Dude, I, I can't remember how old David was when he died. He was pretty old. Well, in the ancient world. Um, Life expectancy, on average, would be much, much earlier, obviously. But once you got past young adult, like baby, right, you'd be much more likely to live longer because infant mortality was was a real problem at the time. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember how old he was, but he was he was old at that point. In seventy. Mm-hmm. Not that anyone here is getting close to being old. I'm not, 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 yeah, yeah. not, not meaning to imply that in any way. He was, no, he was not a young pup. You know, I'm just you know. thinking if he was seeing, you know, we know what he's saying. We, we see that too. Mm-hmm. If the life expectancy was 45, we would definitely be aware of the life is over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not hidden from him. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, people dying, people dying. Yeah. Okay, so after the creational images of people of people of people of causing a volcano, perhaps, or using lightning. He says, Stretch out your hand from on high, rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the, land, from the hand of foreigners. And so that's parallel, right? Stretch out your hand on high is parallel with rescue me and deliver me from many waters, from the hands of foreigners. 
whose mouths speak lies, and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Parallel again, right? Whose mouths speak lies, and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. What's the image of the right hand? It's your, it's your fighting hand. It's your strength, right? What's their strength? Well, they're, they're obviously they're, they're full of lies, right? That's one of their weapons they're using. Uh, and so their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters. I think probably, right? Because uh, they would have been much more afraid of water than, generally speaking, than we than we are, right? Um, I mean, some of us are afraid of water, but they they were very afraid of the sea, many of them, um, and so they've got lots of images in Job and other places of of sea creatures and whatnot. Um, I think that's probably it. Yes, they they'd go fishing, right in the, in the seas and, and do some some uh, get some fish that way, but they're not. Let's go across the Mediterranean and do some trading in in Gaul. They're they're not like the Phoenicians or some of the Philistine peoples. You could see the invasion of the foreigners in David's time to be a flood. Mm-hmm. You could. You you really could. In this case. He's clearly fighting someone, right? Um, because he's actively asking for, for deliverance. And so, yeah. And you can see that in the parallelism, parallelism, right? Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, parallel, from the hands of foreigners. So, yeah. It's very helpful to use the, 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 the parallel and, the, and the, uh, the constant repetition that you'll get in this Hebrew poetry. Right? It, it definitely helps if you're looking at one phrase and go, I'm not sure what that means. Oh, here's one right next to it that's as it is wont to do. Uh, here's one right next to it that's related to it and can help you under, understand it. All right, next one. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-stringed harp, I will play to you. Who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servant, from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Interesting repetition there, right? I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-stringed harp, I will play to you. Clearly, parallel, right? One is playing, one is singing, but they're parallel and they're both making music. Who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servant, from the cruel sword. Now this says it's the Psalm of David. At least that's the, you know, the superscription here in the ESV. Here's David, if it is, talking about himself in the third person. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners who speak lies, and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. And so this is a repetition, right, from verses 7 and 8. Here repeated here in, in verse eleven. It seems like that's a really troublesome thing to him because he's brought up twice. Is this um, his um, how much it bothers him that they practice idolatry or are people like defaming his character or why is he so upset about 
That's a good question. Can we figure out from this who his enemy is? I mean, we can probably go ahead and say it's not Saul, right? One of his first very major enemies. Why can we say it's not Saul? Mm-hmm. Now, it could be around that time, because he was fighting a lot of Philistines at the time. So that certainly could be from that time, or it could be later. Uh, would they use their right hand to, to make oaths and vows and promises? Inside? I don't recall. Their right hand is a right hand of lies. Normally, if, if it were normally being used to... That would make sense. ...show the truthfulness of what they were saying. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. I haven't thought of that, but that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Propaganda is way harder back then. They don't have TV. Right? Yeah, way, way harder. Yeah, I think that was going to yeah. yeah. They can't do like us and drop pamphlets in or airdrop pamphlets in or use Twitter. <laughs> Carve stones and throw the, throw the stones in? Hey, you could. Totally could. Okay. No, no, no. Do you have it backwards? You say, no. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I'm sorry, Isaac. Was it Isaac? Yeah. Isaac put his hand on Jacob. And, um, yeah, the right hand was on Jacob. The right hand was on Jacob. I think that was Israel, wasn't it? Yeah. Over Manasseh and Ephraim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joseph was trying to maneuver it, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, he couldn't. He couldn't see at that point, right? He was blind, or is that just Jacob? Or excuse me, or is that just Isaac? That's right. And then he did the the crossover. Yeah. Uh, let's let's read verses twelve through um, twelve through fifteen, the last part here. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars or cornerstones in the KJV, I believe. Corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace, 
May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Amen. All right, because now he turns he turns away from himself, right? Most of this has been about him specifically, right? Uh, I am your man of battle, and you have given me the power. That's the first part. Even though I am by myself, vanity, essentially, right? My life is just that short. But yet, you have trained my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And the next grouping of verses there, now come down, all right? Send your arrows against my enemies who speak lies against me. In the next one, he switches to praise, but still the same theme. I sing a new song on a 10 string harp. Why? Because God rescues David himself specifically. But now he switches. Now he goes more... Israel focused. May our sons and their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of the palace. May our children do well. May our produce do well. May our flocks bear much more flocks. Alright? Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Alright? Because his assumption is that God is actually going to bless his people. So blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Now, compare David's theology to the hymn. Alright? Notice, David has some of the same assumptions, right? We don't see in this psalm, um, you know, the heavens declaring the glory of God. Do they, we do see that in another one. But here we've got this clearly this idea of I'm God's man and God as sovereign king will bring me success. All right? There's an assumption there that even though clearly there's enemies, all right, and through falsehood, which he mentions twice as we noticed, right, they're coming after David. All right? But David is at least perhaps concerned enough to write a psalm, but also sure enough that it's going to be okay because God himself has trained his hand for war and his fingers for battle and will rescue his servant David and will bless his people. So think about that, all right? Think about your own life and Think about how God is, in fact, sovereign and on your side. All right? We need to remember that. All right? If you are in some sort of spiritual battle with someone, remember that God is with you. All right? Remember that. And remember that God wants to bless you. He may not intend to, Bill, uh, may not intend to make your cattle be more numerous, but then again, you do keep having chickens, and so 
Perhaps so. But at the very least, God does want you to be spiritually fruitful. Right? God does want that from you, regardless. All right? And so we can look at this and go, God does want that for us. And because he is, in fact, sovereign, we can bank on that and we can sing a psalm. Right? And we can pray knowing that that is true, that God will, in fact, be with us. Yes? Uh, also, in terms of like the justification through faith alone, basically, mm-hmm. is that it's, David is pretty clearly just 100%, almost he's totally faithful, he believes totally. And I almost think that if you're so worried about lies of outsiders coming in, that it, your people think that they're justified. I mean, by the law alone. Or law first, faith second type of thing, where that could create you know, more division, essentially, if, you're, if your faith isn't first and foremost. I'm not sure. But. No, no, it, it really should be, because if you are, if you're depending upon your obedience, all right, then essentially, and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that everything is going to turn out because of my obedience, what happens when you're not obedient? Well, it almost seems like right. entitled to at the same time. Because I've done, I've done, I deserve this because I've done all these things. The reality is you do see that in the Psalms sometimes. You do see David saying, I've been righteous, God. You see that. He said, I've been righteous. Therefore, you said you'd be with me. I've been following you. Now, f- fulfill your promise. Right? You do see that. Uh, but both are definitely there, right? We know that we know that David's righteousness is based on his faith, right? Faith is ultimately the source of that, and we should absolutely view the same for ourselves. Um, but we also see that other example in David of yeah, yeah. You'll see it in the Psalms. You will. It's 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 interesting. Yeah. Not just in this Psalm, but in the Davidic. Corpus, I guess, of the Psalms. He repeatedly associates himself with God, and he and it seems like in two ways. One, he says, "I worship you." They don't worship you. They don't worship you. Mm-hmm. I worship you. That's yeah. one thing. And the other one, he says, "Is I'm righteous. I'm righteous. I'm trying to do what you want me to do." And then we see when David gets caught in sin, he's a he's a very good repenter. Mm-hmm. It's like when Nathan comes, he's like, "Oh my God." Yeah. And he, you know, yeah, he sins, but he tries to repent. And so he, he, it's like he's always saying, I worship you, and I'm trying to do right, or I'm trying to obey you. Mm-hmm. And therefore, help me. <laughs> yeah. And I think, as an example, we should do the same. All right? Also, this, this last section when he talks about uh, their sons and daughters and their descendants will prosper after God delivers David so he's identified himself with the nation. Mm-hmm. And who are you to identify yourself with? The Israel of God, right? Your, your nation, right? Not necessarily the U.S., your nation. The kingdom of God. Okay, we need to be dismissed because we uh, are going to have a men's meeting today. Um, 
Yep, I was about to say, I wanna, we'll close in prayer in just a second. Two announcements. Uh, please be in prayer for Mike, all right, and for his mom. He's still with her. Um, could you give us an update, Kim? Do you know real update? So be, please be in prayer for, for all of them. And also, um, there's free eggs in here from Josh. And so, please, please take some of the eggs. So, I'm, I'm glad to see all of you today. So let's, let's be dismissed, and um, men will have a meeting right after this, okay? Um, Michael, will you pray for us?